Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Uthang thamang sanghang namasami Continuing along with the chapter called A Buddha in Every Realm. This is uh, chapter 3 of this book. And uh, at the end of the, the last reading, I was talking about the uh, refuge in Sangha as an internal quality. And just to add one uh, little extra thing with respect to that, there's a, uh, a wonderful English word that most people are not familiar with, which is cinderesis, which means the love of the good. Um, it's you know you find it in obscure religious philosophy books, <laughs> but it, that's the, exactly what it means. It's like that quality of the heart that rejoices in goodness and, and wholesomeness. And so uh, it would be a, a wonderful thing if we had a more common word uh, for that. But uh, so there is a word in English for that. But uh, so the the Pali um, uh, the Pali word gunadhamma, which means that the quality of virtue, uh, it has that. A bit of a parallel in English with synderesis, S-Y-N-D-E-R-I-S-I-S, synderesis. Is, uh, how I believe it's spelled. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's spelled that way. So the next section is called Awareness of Every Realm. In the visual depiction of the six realms, uh, in that mirror held by Mahakala, that's on page 31, it's got Lindsay here, but yeah, with the copy here, yeah. you can... Pass that around if need be. So in the depiction of the six realms, uh, in that mirror held by Mahakala, if one looks closely, there is a Buddha to be found in every one of the realms. There is a Buddha present, even in the animal realm, the, hung the hungry ghost realm, that of the Asuras and the Hells. This feature of the iconography symbolizes the fact that in each and every mind state, whether it be heavenly, blissful and wholesome, or unwholesome and painful, such as anger or fear or compulsion, the quality of wisdom or awareness is available. The Buddha is able to visit that realm. There is no realm that the Buddha can't visit. For example, if the mind is lost in a train of thought, say, a feeling of righteous indignation about something, at a certain moment there is a recognition that the mind has got lost and being, has been carried away. That recognition is symbolically represented by a Buddha being present in that realm. In this instance, it would be the Asura realm, the, the jealous gods. Well, could be a few places, but uh, that's what came to mind when I put this together. That righteous indignation, you know, how dare he? So the mind is focused on some kind of moral quality or some sort of rightness, but is, is uh, angry and vengeful uh, and indignant. So the, the presence of the Buddha in that realm characterizes the quality of wisdom arising awareness being brought to bear to apprehend and fully know that mind state. As an aside, and on the theme of Buddhist cosmology, another interesting little fact and in, the, in uh, the system of Buddhist cosmology, the Buddha can visit every realm, but there, is, uh, there are five realms that the, a bodhisattva is never born in, and those are called the Suddhavasa. Um, and uh, 
because those are the five realms that uh, non-returners get reborn in uh, if they're uh, reborn in the Brahma worlds and so that uh, total enlightenment is guaranteed from those realms so the once you've been born in the Suddhavas it's the equivalent of the pure land Suddha means pure so it's the Pali equivalent or the, the uh, the uh, Pali Tripitaka equivalent of the of the pure lands, literally Sudavasa means the the pure abodes, the pure the pure realms. So uh, beings are always uh, enlightened in those realms. So and there can be there's a whole kind of a, uh, a whole biology of uh, anagamis and and how they uh, the lifespan the uh, lifespans as they occur in those those five realms, the pure abodes. Um, you can be enlightened immediately on appearance. You're not born, you just manifest. You don't have a uh, physical birth, you just sort of pop into being. And some beings are enlightened immediately as they appear. It's called enlightened on appearance. And then there's uh, other ones that live as, uh, uh, you know, there for a little while and then they become arahants. And then others that are m- many, many life, uh, lives in the Sudhavasa as, uh, as anagamis and eventually they realize enlightenment. But uh, a bodhisattva according to the Pali mythology, is never born in the Suddhavasa because they couldn't be born in the human realm and Buddhas are always born in the human realm. So that a Bodhisattva can appear in all the other different realms and some of them are even more refined than the, the pure abodes, uh, the formless Brahma worlds. But those five realms a Bodhisattva never, is never born into. So the Buddha can pay a visit but is never born as a, an entity in one of those realms, um, which I, I feel is a interesting um, message so uh, also as another aside an aside to that aside <laughs> so in pure land buddhism um the uh, uh so the aim of uh, a lot of the practice a very devotional practice repeating mantras like namo amitabha buddha repeating the name of amitabha buddha and want and the with the intention to be reborn in those pure lands and they're very attractive since you're guaranteed to be in a brahma world for a long long time and then realize total enlightenment from there so it's like a really nice retirement program. <laughs> but it's really blissful for gazillions of years. And then you become an arahant and, and escape from birth and death altogether. So that's got a certain attractive quality to it. You have a long, blissful retirement. And then off the wheel. Um, I'm kind of making fun of it, but kind of that's why, why, one of the reasons why these things are attractive. But in the Pali Buddhist world, in the Southern Buddhist realm, the uh, only beings who are anagamis can be born in the Suddhavasa. And, uh, but from the, in the northern Buddhist world, um, practicing with devotion and, and fixing the mind on, on devotion to Amitabha Buddha or the other Buddhas, um, uh, can bring about the, uh, birth in the Pure Lands. So that, uh, Pure Land Buddhism is very, very popular in the northern Buddhist world. Um, but, it, it, as, as, according to my understanding of it, the uh, 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 being doesn't have to have reached uh, the level of a non-returner in order to be born in the, the pure abodes. That's uh, my understanding of it. But just a, it's a, a bit of an aside. But in terms of realms that the um, uh, that exist, I feel that's a, it's got some significance to that. So anyway, going back to a Buddha in every realm. So this is um, uh, say part of the, the 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 development of mindfulness and wisdom and that quality of awareness and also it's somewhat related to uh in the, the teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness the 
the in particular the third foundation of mindfulness is um, uh, mindfulness of of moods, if uh, chitanupasana moods and mind states, and uh, in that description, it's it's, it's uh, almost the, the shortest of all of the four sections of the four foundations of mindfulness, but uh, it's uh, it talks about the the different um, states of mind, uh, and but it's very it's a very even expression. So it says. Um, knowing the the contracted mind is contracted, or the extan- expanded mind is expanded, then the agitated mind is agitated. The mind free of agitation is free of, free of agitation. Knowing that the mind filled with lust is filled with lust. The mind free of lust is free of lust. The mind uh, filled with anger is being filled with anger. The mind free of anger is being free of anger. So, and there's no kind of comment about wholesome or unwholesome, beneficial or unbeneficial in that particular teaching. It's just. Uh, there, there is this state, and at the end of each of those little um, descriptions, it says to simply know there is this, to establish mindfulness to the degree of knowing there is this. You know that is the, the development of mindfulness um, in, in this instance with respect to that that state. So it, it's a, I think I feel it's a parallel to this sort of the Buddha in every realm. It's like the mind can be can be concentrated or unconcentrated. You can there can be the recognition of Wow, it's totally scattered today, and my mind is all over the place. But that which knows the mind is all over the place is not all over the place. That, or that there can be like a wave of intense fear like, and uh, sort of quivering with, with anxiety. Wow, that's this is really intense today. You know, this is really a a, 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 a kind of startlingly or st- uh, impressively strong feeling of fear or, or aversion. Uh, desire, whatever, whatever it might be, but this—the uh, image of having a Buddha in each realm—is representing, on a psychological level, that sense of, "Wow, this is really agitated," <laughs> or "I really, I'm really, uh, I really didn't didn't want that to happen," or "This is ex- this is the uh, I've just got exactly what I wanted feeling." This is the very loud yes. That's what this is, and the, the mind that knows that yes is not tied to it. It's not is not um, say, identified with it. And so, that uh, this is also a very frequent theme of Lumpur Cha's teachings: knowing, uh, knowing moods, and uh, and not attaching to uh, to happiness. And and uh, I think I was invited to give a, a talk about um, about this theme to the a group um, in based in in Thailand uh, uh, over the weekend. And the, the title of the talk was um, "Happiness is Suffering in Disguise." <laughs> So I was referring a lot to these uh, teachings of Lumpur Cha where he would point out how we chase after happiness and we want to get happiness and call it good and real and then we run away from from suffering. But you know, if if the if the mind grasps happiness in an unskillful way, then it's like taking hold of the the tail of the snake rather than the head. You know, if you grasp suffering, you know, the snake bites you right away. If you grasp the tail, it's like grasping happiness. You got a few moments before the head whips around and the snake bites you, but the he would often use that as an image of, of grasping happiness. So instead, what he would recommend is like that quality of knowing that like and dislike are of equal value, and that the, the mind that's aware of uh, being excited or being afraid or being irritated, you know, being peaceful, being um, being sleepy, that uh, that development of that that skill of you know, knowing and, and feeling the presence of mind states as they come and go. That's a uh, uh, a very significant and helpful dimension of the practice.
But we consciously take refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha to strengthen that quality of awareness, to make knowing more accessible, to invite the Buddha more effectively into every one of the six realms. In taking refuge, uh, awareness and wisdom can be brought more easily to meet and receive those distractions or emotions or compulsions, be they unwholesome, wholesome, painful, pleasant or neutral. In this light it's significant that in the classical imagery, in that the, the, of the the wheel of uh, becoming, the Bhavachakra, the Buddha in each realm holds an instrument or an object that is particularly relevant for the beings in each realm. He is using the medium that each category of beings can relate to. And again, this, this isn't always totally consistent, but it is it, it is surprisingly common. So you find very, very similar imagery, say, in Korea or Japan or in, in Tibet, China, in uh, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Myanmar, India, that the, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, of um, uh, the same imagery is used, irrespective of the country that, it, uh, that, the, that you find this, uh, this um, say symbol in. So the human realm, uh, then the Buddha is dressed as, as a monk. He's holding the arms bowl of a monk. And that, uh, as I was saying, that the, the Manusaloka is represented by the quality of sila. And so that's symbolized by the, the Buddha with an arms bowl. Also that uh, Buddhas live on arms, they live on, on the, the offerings of the faithful. In the Deva realm, uh, the Buddha is holding a musical instrument, a, a veena, like a, a um, sitar, a kind of a stringed uh, instrument. So Deva's like music and uh, sensory pleasure. and that kind of, So through that realm of uh, delightful sensory objects, then that's the medium of communication in the Deva realm. In the Asura realm, he holds a flaming sword. So uh, that's their, their language is <laughs> righteous indignation and uh, uh, jealous, uh, sort of, uh, jealously um, expressing their, their, their feelings of, uh, and uh, how they are being overlooked and how they should have more power and uh, supremacy in the, in the world. In the animal realm, he holds a book, and, and classically it would be like a, a palm leaf manuscript. You would not sort of book book, because <laughs> these are a fairly full European invention. Um, and so it was more like the palm leaf manuscripts often. It's like a, a long, thin, rectangular um, uh, object. So the, the ola leaf palm manuscript is a, is a sort of classical form for representing a book in these pictures. In the hell realm, he holds a flame, like it's a, a burning uh, uh, fire held in his hand. And in the hungry ghost realm, the peta realm, he has a bottle of nectar, uh, like a, a sweet uh, nectar um, that provides uh, say, a, um, a relief from the, the endless hunger that the, the, the uh, peta, the petas have in their, in their particular realm. Now these different media represent the skillful means through which wisdom needs to operate in order to have an effective impact in each realm upon each psychological state. Are there any questions, thoughts on that? Yes. So, again, isn't the state of the Bhagavad Gita, the mind state, um, and the same Seventy-five, say fifty to seventy-five percent. <laughs> I think it's a rough amount, yeah, as a good, a goodly amount, yeah. Knowing that we should let go and not being able to. So, so in that, 
you know, but when your mind is not very well trained in the micro moment of recognition, oh, I'm feeling righteous indignation, and that it literally lasts a microsecond, and then you go back to righteous indignation. Um, and even if, or if you don't get lost and somebody points it out to you, then you just, I just say, yes, I'm feeling righteous indignation, and I won't feel righteous indignation. So is it the way out of this, just repeating the cycle of micro moments of recognition and hoping that one day the pain will go? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, th uh, that. But also, um, another aspect of it that um, that I found very helpful and uh, I, I believe, I mean, it's, it's all a long time ago, <laughs> like uh, I, I last had a conversation with, with Lumpur Chara in 1979. So... It's a long, long time ago, so it's, uh, 43 years back. So, so uh, I can't swear to exactly um, how he phrased it, but uh, one of the, the, the uh, aspects of that is even if you're completely caught up in a state and there isn't any perspective, um, you know, or there isn't enough perspective to, to slow it down, that you're kind of, you're kind of roaring or you're, you're <laughs> consuming, uh, and that uh, he said, you know, even as you are following some aramana, some arom, some mood, and you know, something in the mind is saying, this is really stupid and I'm going to regret this, the hand doesn't stop, you know, uh, uh, and the, you know, the, the, the behavior continues. And so um, it's, it's not justifying the behavior, but he said, yeah, if, because he really understood passion, <laughs> kind of anger and, and lust and, and uh, fear, aversion. He was a kind of a, the only the only defilement he did not specialize in was laziness and dullness. So that's why he he said a number of times that people say, "Why are you so wise? You know, you understand everything. It's like incredible. Did you you sort of can you recite the whole Abhidharma?" He said, "No, no, no. I just I got so many defilements." <laughs> that uh, you know, I had to learn from 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 lust, from fear, from anger, from greed, from uh, you know, righteous indignation, <laughs> impatience, uh, complaining, criticism, and so the only one he didn't experience much of was dullness. Everything else was so hot, you know, kind of hyper energized that uh, dullness didn't get a look in. But uh, so anyway, when uh, uh, one of the I, I found really helpful advice that so the 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 Intensity is so strong, you're, kind of, you're really just burning. So there's still that in the mind that recognizes this is really stupid, and I'm, I know I'm going to regret this. But even though that's that's not strong enough to stop the behavior, the kind of or the or just the mood, you know, like sitting the whole hour in the temple ranting about somebody who doesn't exist, you know, <laughs> or who existed 25 years ago or whatever. That. Uh, you are, uh, you know, there isn't the capacity to stop it, but there, so just, re just remembering to listen to that, that other voice that's saying that, you know, this is really foolish, this isn't going to bring anything helpful. Um, but, uh, then once the, the wave has, has broken and that, that mood has passed, either, um, you know, it's just a, an internal mood of, of a feeling of, of, of fear or anger or desire that sort of, has has waned and faded away, or if after you have acted on some impulse, you've spoken out, or you, you've you've shouted at somebody, or you've you've eaten too much, or, or whatever it might be, um, then when that's cooled down, 
then uh, that to use the capacity for wise reflection to say, okay, now you got exactly what you wanted. You really told them what you thought of them. How is it? And to, uh, and the the, the 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 tricky part of that is not letting the mind go into self view and self criticism. Like, oh, I'm totally stupid. I'm a useless practitioner. You know, I'm just polluting the atmosphere here. You know, just. Uh, this is a um, this is a complete waste of time. And I'm just making life more difficult for myself, and so the mind can easily go into that a self-critical rant for many people. But rather than letting that happen, just in, in a simple and straightforward way, it's like, okay, well, that was acted on. How does this feel? And uh, and just to acknowledge, okay, that was the cause. You, you you got you got what you wanted. You acted on that angry or impulse or that selfish impulse. Okay, uh, uh, and and now how does it feel? And uh, that I found extraordinarily helpful. And, and I always, when I talk about this, I always recommend that the, the less commentary or explanation, the better. So like, oh, you know, I got lost in that because, or, you know, I, in the future I'm going to, or I'm never going to do that again. So that uh, even though those might be skillful intentions or, or might have some value, my experience is, because maybe it's because I'm a bit of a compulsive explainer and verbalizer, <laughs> but just to keep it as non-verbal and direct as possible. Okay, that having been followed, what's the, you know, how does this feel? And then just to to keep it as as tangible, like the 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 physical feeling and the and the just the emotional tone of it, without a lot of explaining or languaging around it, just to feel it. Say, and even just to say, uh, I feel overfed and a lot of regret. <laughs> just to keep it extremely simple. And so then that the painfulness of the results is what teaches us. It's like if you put on a shoe that's too tight, you don't, you don't have to think it's too tight. It's like, ow. And so I, I often will, would, when talking about this, just let that ow have its effect. Because pain is what teaches us better than anything else. And so rather than the superego voice saying, I should never do that again. That's really stupid. A good, a good, <laughs> good Buddhist would never do this. And I'm going to be a, a, a good monk in the future. That that doesn't have so much power as just the the un, unest, the un, anesthetized pain <laughs> just to without just to really feel that and let that sink in that i find it has the most helpful effect so it's not an excuse to say oh well, as long as i feel it afterwards i can just follow this and <laughs> the ajahn says okay to follow your impulses <laughs> as long as you recognize the effect afterwards okay right yeah. I'll go with that. So, and this is being recorded, I realize. So, please don't misunderstand that. <laughs> That's not a sanctioning of unskillful behavior, but rather, if it is, because I think we all, for all of us, and this is very helpful that Ajahn Chah had such a kind of, a, a, a kind of wildly um, uh, active uh, mind and a lot of, uh, of difficult experiences, it, that that kind of dynamic is familiar to all of us. So um, those moments, the kind of little microseconds or moments of, of clarity along the way, yes. But then also after the wave has passed, it's like, well, what was all that about? Okay, well, I told them what I thought about them. Right. <laughs> it feels like this. And uh, and then just let that have its effect. And, and my experience of it is that uh, with patience and over time, then that 
that genuine reception of the of the painful feeling then as the mind starts to go into a comparable state or or impo- you know following a, a a selfish or greedy or uh, uh, destructive impulse then it's much closer to the surface that the the the, the mindfulness that recognizes i know where this is going that really hurt last time and not because of the the brain saying oh that really hurt last time i shouldn't do this there's no should it's just like oh no <laughs> like i know that's a hot fire if i touch it it's gonna it's gonna burn so it, you don't even have to sell, tell yourself don't touch the fire because there's that you know, it's it's nurturing that intuitive and, and direct recognition yeah yeah that it's a it's a non-conceptual intuitive process and so slowly but surely with ridiculous amounts of patience then really really insanely ridiculous amounts of patience <laughs> slowly 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 then the, the the forces that drive that that sort of destructive or, or negative and, and unhelpful behavior they they lose their strength they're deprived of their fuel they, they lose their strength okay so to continue so the next part of this chapter, um, even though I was not really intending this to be a sort of meditation, uh, general meditation handbook, I did include um, the because uh, in each of these retreats that I, I led about you know five five or six retreats on dependent origination that this this book comes from, in each of them I was giving the uh, sort of basic essential instruction in, in uh, meditation practice as well. So this second part of this chapter is where I talk about. Uh, establishing a basis of loving kindness, developing the quality of, of concentration and uh, focusing of attention, and the development uh, of insight, uh, vipassana, and also then the the recognition of the the role of uh, of the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, the ultimate reality um, as part of the the basis for for practice. So that this this whole second part of this chapter is more about these basic meditation qualities uh, and uh, so I'll, I'll read through these but uh, it's um, uh, it's that's the, the the purpose so that within this book there's also that sort of fundamental meditation guidance is included it, it appears in, in many other books as well by myself and other people but um, I felt it was useful to have as part of the, the whole mix these different skillful means so the first one is called loving kindness expressive and receptive Another aspect of the symbolism is that the Buddha is always a loving presence, even if he's carrying a sword or a flame. Buddha wisdom is the embodiment of profound loving-kindness, that radical acceptance which facilitates the process of liberation and frees beings from the wheel of becoming. Many years ago, when Ajahn Sumedha first began teaching in the United Kingdom and in Europe, he would use the classical phrases for teaching loving-kindness, metta-meditation. May I be happy, may I be well, may all beings be happy, may they be well, and so on. Probably many, many people, most of us are familiar with these ahang sukito homi, these classical phrases for uh, developing loving-kindness, and then also the, um, the, the classical modes of um, visualizing different uh, kinds of beings, either going through categories of beings, uh, human beings or animals and you know, birds and fishes or visible beings, invisible beings, uh, 
or spreading loving kindness geographically around you know, the the room you're in or the building you're in and the place you're in and then through the countryside around the uh, around the area around the country around the, the planet and so uh, these kinds of ways of teaching loving kindness meditation uh, Lumpur Sumedho would would use those when he first came to uh, to teach in the West in 1977 uh, but he uh, um, and so I, I imagine that most people are familiar with those sort of um, forms of uh, meta meditation and uh, the kind of going through the lists of beings also another form that is quite standard is uh, starting off with with yourself and then then beings that uh, people that you uh, that you like are very important to you people that you are indifferent to or you don't know very well and people that you dislike or they dislike you um that's another um uh, say way of categorizing the different forms of beings that uh, and different ways formats for for loving kindness meditation so uh when he first began teaching with these phrases may i be happy may i be well may all beings be happy may they all be well most english people would think ugh this is so sentimental it's really annoying uh, you're trying to teach loving kindness but it makes me really irritated it's too sweet sentimental like thinking pink so Lumpur uh, Smedo has described this very very often perhaps me saying most English people is a bit of an exaggeration but uh, a lot gave that kind of a feedback and uh, it's also it's not just in England but in, in the States as well that uh, uh, actually one of the one of the the people who was I think it was a uh, one of the insight meditation society teachers um, they did a, a day-long meditation in at their the place in California spirit rock and the title of the day-long was I hate meta it's <laughs> 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 probably if you look on Dharma seed there might be there might be a recording of the the I hate meta day-long <laughs> it's about this you know how that kind of sentimental or thinking pink you know <laughs> over sugary sort of a uh, D- Disney-esque uh, not to malign Walt Disney and Walt Disney films but uh, that kind of over sweet and, and sentimental uh, would bring a negative uh, a negative result with it I remember one person on a retreat saying to me this was I'm, I'm recording this I was doing fine I was very happy until you started teaching meta then I got really angry <laughs> <laughs> so you know when I when I again when I when I first started running re- teaching retreats and youth or work it was a, you should have a, a day of meta practice or some and then I would just use that same kind of format and then in one of the interviews somebody said that right? I was doing fine yeah you know, I was having a great time until you started talking about loving kindness so. <laughs> a very negative effect so Ajahn Sumedho is a very creative and adaptable teacher. He thus employed some skillful means and changed the language that he used to describe metta. He defined it instead as, quote, not dwelling in aversion, unquote. In a similar vein, the phrase that I like to use for metta is radical acceptance, quote, unquote. It follows on from Ajahn Sumedho's lead. It describes a principle of acceptance, not dwelling in aversion. We can have metta for that which is not likable. And in a way, it is, this is the central principle. It applies directly to dependent origination. If we confuse metta for meaning that we're supposed to like all beings and all mind states, 
it can easily be irritating because there are many things about our own minds and other people and the world that are not likable. Those hell realms of anger and conflict are still hot and painful, but they are the way they are. The Buddha carries a flame to those realms, but he's not averse or impatient. He is as calm and benevolent as he is everywhere. And that this is also I'll, I'll talk a bit more about it, but in, as I go along. But this is those of you. There's a a chapter in um, the uh, the book by Lumpur Sumedha called uh, Mindfulness Path to the Deathless, uh, called uh, Loving Kindness uh, uh, Meditation on Loving Kindness, and that talks a lot in a lot of detail uh, about this practice. And the point he makes there is that you can. Uh, you can have love for, for something that you don't like, that liking and loving are not the same, that uh, acceptance is not the same as approval, so that you you can say, you know, have a, 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 a painful illness, or, or the weather can be you know, really, uh, really challenging, really cold, or really hot, or really windy, or something, and you can't make yourself like it, you know, but you're not trying to like it, but you can accept, well, here it is, this, there's this illness, or there's this, you know, this challenging weather, it's like this. So that uh, over and over again, he would emphasize that acceptance is not the same as approval, and that that was something, using the word love in English, it tends to imply both, that having love for something means that you're implying that you like it. And over and over again, he would say <laughs> that, that accepting something is not the same as trying to make yourself like it. And I found that a very, very helpful principle. So that's the essence of this this uh, approach here. If you have chronic pain, or if you've had a headache for three days, um, you can't like it, but you can accept it. Here it is. If you have a, a difficult family member who is causing you a lot of stress, you can't like that, but you can accept it. This is a practical and realistic way of understanding metta. <coughs> It's a quality of acceptance and open-heartedness, of clearly seeing this is the way things are, quote-unquote, rather than trying to feel like we have to force ourselves to like everything. If we have an angry mind state, or if we feel a wave of jealousy, fear, or craving, we're not trying to pretend that we like that. Oh, hooray, I'm really angry. My anger is so beautiful. We're not trying to create a, that kind of attitude, but rather we acknowledge when an angry feeling arises, this is anger. It feels this way. It's part of nature. It's like this. When we establish a foundation of loving-kindness, this means establishing a readiness to accept what we like, what we dislike, and what is neutral, with an open heart. We're not being biased. We're not judging. We are recognizing in this moment that the mind's experience is exactly this way. This is what the Buddha being present in each realm is intended to mean in the iconography of the wheel of birth and death. When we understand and learn to use this attitude of radical acceptance, it doesn't mean that we are being passive, which is another very important part of... So when we use a language of um, uh, uh, this is the way things are, or acceptance, it can imply, all right, just let it happen, and kind of being a... Uh, a doormat, or letting the, uh, in the words of, of Hamlet, to uh, suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, just to go, kind of go passive and just let things happen. It's not, that acceptance is not what we mean by this word. It doesn't mean that we're being passive. Accepting doesn't mean going numb. Our hearts don't freeze. Acceptance doesn't mean that we refuse to act or respond to an experience. It's simply a recognition 
Here we are. It's like this. If you're driving to Paris, so a lot of these teachings were given in the south of France. If you're driving to Paris, enjoying chatting to a friend, and then you see a road sign that tells you that you're just entering Nice, which is in the opposite direction. You were in Provence, and so Nice is to the south, Paris is to the north. If you see a road sign that tells you you're just entering Nice, you might wish that you'd not gone 50 kilometers in the wrong direction. But that's where you are. So, rather than criticizing yourself for taking a wrong turn, you accept what's happened. Oh, I'm here. It's not where I expected to be. Now, how do I get back on the right road? You accept where you are, and that acceptance informs how you act in order to head in a better direction. So our capacity to act and make choices is also part of the way things are, which is a piece, some, sometimes people, very, very regularly people miss that. So we talk about accepting the way things are. And I know many people have listened to Lumpur Sumedha for years and years and have assumed that he meant, therefore, just don't, kind of quote, quote unquote, don't do anything, and thought that he meant to be, be passive or don't engage. But uh, I feel that's a, a very unfortunate uh, and unhelpful misunderstanding because our ability to make choices, like I was saying here, once you realize, oh, this is Nice, not Paris, we've gone the wrong direction, <laughs> doesn't mean to say, okay, well, here we are in this place, enjoy Nice instead. <laughs> Good, beautiful place, yeah, by the Mediterranean, okay. <laughs> you can do that, but uh, if you really, if you need to be back in Paris to go to work, then uh, uh, then your capacity to turn the car around and head in the opposite direction—that's also part of the way things are. And our decision, the decision-making process, and the and the capacity to act on mindfulness and wisdom is also part of the way things are. It's not an intrusion or a, an upsetting of the way things are. It's not a, a a disturbance of the way things are, but it's part of the way things are. Essentially, how could it not be? In a way, this quality of metta is the route we follow in making skillful choices. This is directly related to dependent origination in that it is about learning how to make choices based on wisdom and mindfulness rather than reactivity. If acceptance meant taking no action, then once you've taken that wrong turn and found yourself in Nice by mistake when you had some commitment in Paris, you would then think, oh well, I just, I just have to stay in Nice. This is called stupidity. No offense to the Nisoas, if that's the right word. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, that was just an example I was using. So, any questions, thoughts on that? Yes. No, no. Um, if Metta is accepting things as they are, what's the difference between Metta and equanimity? Um, good question. Um, the uh, I think um, I often talk about it as sort of metta is the um, the entry point to equanimity or loving kindness ripens in equanimity. So metta is the first of the Brahma Viharas, and upeka is the fourth one. And so that um, that um, the uh, well uh, metta is uh, um, establishing that openness, and the result of that openness um, as in, or its fulfillment. Uh, this, this is just one way of talking about it. So its fulfillment is in that quality of, of equanimity. So uh, metta is a lot to do with uh, how the, the heart relates to, um, uh, to other beings. Um, and, and, um, say, 
and uh, the you know the presence of other beings and, and the, the 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 habit of the mind to be judgmental about other beings or mind states this is good that's bad i like i don't like um and uh equanimity upeka uh i feel is is uh, is functioning on a bit more of a refined level and upeka is about that quality of uh of stillness uh and uh peacefulness in the midst of a lot of activity and turbulence agitation so um that uh I, I, this isn't the only way to to relate to it to understand it uh, again but uh that um as a the the full refinement of loving kindness i would say it ripens in in upeka and you can look at it as a as a kind of a circle um or a uh, so that um yeah you know, loving kindness relates to to so a basic attitude towards all beings karuna relates to the experiences of unhappiness of other beings mudita relates to experiences of happiness of other beings and then upeka is a sort of um the uh, skillful relationship to to all conditions so that any kind of of um, agitation or busyness or, or, or turbulence then uh, upeka is that uh, uh, the the experience of serenity or or stillness in the midst of of uh, great activity when you meet someone um, happiness and you wish them well and good uh, then um, there is a feeling of you know you have a feeling and that loving kindness and uh, that's uh, metta mm-hmm. if there is acceptance um, but it's also a feeling there. Yeah, so um, that, that's what the, the other part of metta that I, I will talk about is the expressive part. So uh, it's receptive and expressive. So there's the taking in part, which is the acceptance, and there's the expressive, the, the sending out part. So I'll get to that in a moment. Where have we got? Yeah, we've got twenty minutes. Yeah, we should be okay. <laughs> so that, um, yeah. So it. Uh, that's why I I like to talk about it in as expressive and receptive. So that there's uh, like the breath. You know, there's the in breath and the out breath. There's the as the the breathing in, the receiving the the air, the oxygen keeps us alive, and then the the out breath is the expression. Literally means to press out. So the metta has its expressive quality as well. So I'll talk about that in a minute. If we can establish this basis of radical acceptance, then when we are observing the activities of our mind, whether in terms of feeling, sense experience, liking and disliking, we know these activities for what they are. If something is ordinary, you know this is this as the feeling of something being ordinary. If we experience dislike, then we know this is the experience of disliking. The mind is able to appreciate those qualities of experience just as they are. We learn more and more about liking and disliking. We see them clearly, and this is a major means whereby we can free the heart from its addictions. So, relating to dependent origination, so when that the vedana pachaya tanha, the feeling, conditions, craving. So, the the more there can be an acceptance of, say, disliking, then that doesn't 
crossed the bridge into tanha of hating and wanting to get rid of, or if there's a feeling of liking, uh, that uh, th- there isn't that vedana pachaya tanha, the feeling, conditioning, the craving of, oh, I've got to get more of this, this is, this is really great, uh, how can I get this for me? And so that uh, that greater quality of acceptance, just knowing liking as liking and disliking as disliking, uh, then it, it strengthens that capacity to for vedana not to pachaya tanha. If we experience dislike for something and are able to know that feeling clearly, then the mind will not grab hold of that dislike and turn it into hatred or deep aversion. If we're unmindful, then pain becomes a problem. It becomes the enemy, quote-unquote. It becomes something that has to be brought to an end by any means possible. When the mind grasps pain, it's born into the feelings of hatred and aversion. But if there's wisdom and mindfulness, the feeling, the sensation, can simply be known as it is. This is unpleasant. I can't make it pleasant. It's just this. It's just a painful feeling. That's all. Dislike doesn't have to lead to hate. In exactly the same way, when we like something, we taste some delicious food or we see some beautiful countryside. So this was in Provence in the springtime. So it was extremely beautiful countryside and very delicious food, I must say. I'm happy to compliment the retreat managers. They do them. It was a dangerously attractive mealtime. Uh, uh, it was a, a very kind of comfortable retreat. They had a lot of deck chairs out in the patio. So after the after the mealtime, the um, the majority of the of the retreatants would take the sitting posture in the deck chairs and enjoy the the sunshine of Provence in April. <laughs> Not to make anyone feel jealous, or, but. Uh, it was a, a very, very. Uh, there's a lot of um, sukhavedana in the setup in this particular place. We experience a feeling of liking. We can experience that liking and know it just as it is, as a feeling of delight, of pleasure. If we are wise, we recognise that we don't have to add anything to that. We can just let that delight, that pleasure, be what it is. It is this way. But if we're unmindful, if we're unwise, then the mind grasps hold of that. We try to get more of it or keep it, create the same experience in the future. We get so excited in grasping that taste, get so busy in the mind that we end up missing the taste in the moment. A friend of the monastery once told me that she took her family to a resort on an island in the Mediterranean. We found this beautiful village on a little island. It was the perfect hotel, the perfect beach. The kids were so happy. I spent the whole holiday trying to figure out how I could book the place for the next year. So I didn't enjoy this year at all. Because you couldn't make a booking a year in advance. There was a policy of the the little pension that she was staying at. um, So, yeah, ruined the holiday trying to get it for next time. It's it's a a painful story, but I I often tell it because it's a really good example of that. That's what happens. And similarly with with food... um, and I think, especially if the food is really delicious, and probably many of us have had the experience of when it's a, a, a bowl full or a plate, you know, plate full of, of exactly what, what we like, then, oh, this is amazing, this is incredible. <gasps> Where did it go? What? My, my bowl is empty already. Yeah. I better get some more. Uh, yeah. We're so excited about the first lot, we have to go and get a second lot because we, we were wrapped up in the, the, the 
the the kind of compulsion of, of consuming the first one. I'm not spying on anybody or, or <laughs> taking notes about anybody's eating habits. This is just how many of us are as human beings. We've, I've certainly had that experience. Like, oh, where did that? That went very quickly. <laughs> So that uh, you think, well, I better have another one because I, you know, I wasn't paying attention the first time. So. This time I'll be really mindful. Many years ago, I was on a retreat with Ajahn Sujito. One day after the meal, he had this glow in his face, and I said, You look very happy, Ajahn. What happened? And he said, I ate a potato. <laughs> he looked that kind of angelic, like. That's a, St. Francis of Assisi in the marketplace. Yeah. He said, I eat a potato. Um, it looked like he, it had been a profound religious experience. Yes, it was amazing. I ate a potato and I wasn't doing anything else. There was the experience of being hungry and having a taste of potato. Just being present for that experience was extraordinarily delightful. So this area of Dhamma practice, this dimension of meditation, is very rich for exploration. If we can bring our attention to the present moment experience and fully attend to what's here and now, then we can find that quality of satisfaction and fulfillment that most of us are seeking in life. We wish to be content, we wish to be fulfilled, we wish to be at peace and complete, but if the mind is always looking for the next and the next and the next thing, we're tied to the wheel of becoming, we're tied to that cycle of addiction. The heart, even though it longs for rest and completion, never experiences any rest, peace or completion. To put it simply, we can establish this insight. I can like, but I don't have to want. I can dislike, but I don't have to hate. On considering all of this, it can be seen that the practice of loving-kindness has both a receptive and an expressive aspect. The expressive quality of metta manifests in the conscious radiating of benevolent feelings towards others and to oneself, while wishing, spreading kindness, sending goodwill out to every being. It's like the out-breath. The receptive aspect of metta is like the in-breath, taking everything in and opening our hearts to each other and to the way things are. This is the radical acceptance, the not dwelling in aversion, the attunement to the reality of the way things are that is also the life source of wisdom. Accordingly, just as it is the in-breath that gathers the oxygen uh, that our bodies need to stay alive, and it is the out-breath that expels the unneeded carbon dioxide, so too, I would say, it's the receptive acceptance aspect of metta that is its essence, and the expressive aspect which is a natural and helpful result of that. So uh, I realize that's uh, not... So, uh, a, um, the only way to, to relate to it, to understand it, but I, I, working with this, these practices and, and looking at these qualities, I feel that's a, a helpful way of understanding it. And so that, um, and I think also that sense of just trying to think the words, you know, may I be happy, may I be at peace, may all beings be happy, you can just get lost in the sort of laundry list of beings. That go, oh, did I forget? Oh, I forgot the fishes. All right, yeah. It's, it's, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I did Hertfordshire, Essex. Um, <laughs> Uh, Kent and then Sussex and uh, Greater London. Uh, how much is Greater London? Yeah. Is, that Surrey, is Surrey part of Greater London? Yeah. You can kind of get ridiculously caught up in, in the, the kind of the uh, technicalities of it and forget that the whole thing is, is intended to be based on a, 
that warmth of the heart, or that that uh, uh, that quality of of kindness in the heart, and so that uh, uh, that uh, I find when teaching loving kindness meditation, if uh, if I am to teaching that as a particular practice, then I'll tend to emphasize this aspect of of acceptance, radical acceptance, and then. Um, to to the extent possible to uh, to help that to be clarified as a quality of of kindness and um, appreciation for for all things, and then once that quality of kindness or appreciation acceptance is is a there's a felt sense of that a, a, a sort of a, a warmth in the heart or a, a an openness of heart, then to be consciously spreading that out. It's like if you haven't got the, if you haven't got so sweets to hand out. <laughs> you you know, if the sweets are in your possession, you can't hand them out. You've got to have the the, the, the goodies to hand out in order to be able to uh, pass them out to other people. So rather than just uh, having the the words in mind, then establishing that that genuine quality, and then once that's established, then to make that effort to spread that out to other beings and, and using any of those forms, either in terms of geographical spreading or through character categories of different beings or um, beings that uh, that you like and, and appreciate and, and uh, you have warmth natural warmth towards or beings that uh, you are uh, have struggles or conflict with and so on those forms are not bad or wrong I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss those at all but I feel it needs to be informed of that fundamental quality of that the strength of genuine kindness and that's mo- as I said that would like the in-breath is what brings the oxygen into the body and it's the oxygen that keeps us Keeps these bodies alive. That the it's that uh, attitude of, of of radical acceptance as the, the 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 life source or the the, the power source of, of genuine loving kindness. So any thoughts, questions, reflections? Yes. Is, um, it seems to be the case sometimes that um, people meditators um, who do with a lot of metta are the ones who practice it or are least inclined to practice um, or sometimes it's the case say that again so, so it seems to be the case sometimes that people, people that need metta the most are the least inclined to practice met, with metta <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it doesn't maybe doesn't come as naturally to, to, to some people to Receive and generate it. Mm-hmm. So then, I guess it, it uh, upon like um, practicing it at the beginning, it can feel mechanical. Is there a sort of uh, is there a way to sort of a, a softer way to enter it that can be yeah that can feel a little less sort of like you're going through the motions. Um, I guess without re- reflecting on you know things that people. Care about first, or for, a, for the harder-hearted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a good question. It, it, it's uh, it varies a lot from one person to another. I mean, like like sister was asking about equanimity. So you can, in a way, start off with equanimity. If people are like, don't talk to me about kindness, grrr. you know, bar humbug, kind of uh, anything that's got that uh, any sort of emotional softness to it, they just something just shuts down and, and uh, it just there's a, a, a reflexive resistance so yeah, there's there's no reason why you shouldn't approach it through equanimity and that 
in in the classical um, say verses of uh, of the developing the Brahma Viharas, Ahansukito uh, Homi, may I abide in well being, may everyone abide in well being, so that the then the, that's the development of metta. Then the, the may all beings be released from all suffering is karuna, compassion. May all beings not be parted from the good fortune they have attained is mudita. And then the upeka is it, it changes gear. And it's it, uh, and it's a reflection on cause and effect. I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide supported by my karma. Whatever karma I shall do for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. So equanimity, uh, it's a, it's a, a whole, <laughs> okay. uh, the, you know, the first three are, are, are sort of a, of a group really. And then equanimity, the way of developing it is, like I, I was saying uh, to sister, it's, a, it's like a, a whole uh, kind of extra layer of refinement. But if that's what people can relate to, if they can, don't talk to me about kindness, but causality, yes. Like, you know, they've got a, a mind that likes, likes, Physics and mathematics and cause you know nice hard-edged you know, uh, biological principles or, or mathematical principles. If that's what people can relate to. Then then you can approach it that this, and that uh, to see things in terms and why we use that reflection on cause and effect in terms of developing upeka. It's it's also very close to insight to to the development of of vipassana because it's changing the view from from a person-centered or a self-centered perspective to a nature-centered perspective. This is the cause, this is the effect. I'm the owner of my karma. This action was taken, here's the result. Yeah, I chose to um, I chose to read this book and so this is the book that we're hearing. You know, that's the cause, this is the effect. Um, that uh, you know, you've chosen to come along to the reading so that you're sitting in the sala at the moment. This is the cause, this is the effect. And so that um, that uh, brings a, that a quality of, of of evenness of mind. That sense of oh right, it's just this is the way nature works. That was this is the choice that was made. This is the result. I ate too much at the meal time, so now my mind is really sleepy in the afternoon. That's the cause. This is the effect. It's not personal. Again, you're not making excuses. Oh, therefore, if I just label it not, you know, <laughs> cause and effect, then I can eat as much as I like and get you know. But it's not. It's not that. It's like, well, this is a, a dull, sleepy mind, and it's the it's the result of putting too much food into the stomach in the morning. That's that's the cause. That's the effect. It's not personal. It doesn't make it wholesome or useful. <laughs> it's just it's a scene in a, a non-personal way, and so that then that helps to bring that that uh, like an evenness of attitude, and as and it's like a. Um, a gateway to to wisdom and to liberation. Upeka, it's uh, it's the last on the list of the ten parameters. It's the last on the list of the seven factors of enlightenment. It's the last on the list of the uh, of these um, the four sublime abiding. So, and the last one on the list is usually the most refined of of any of many of the Buddha's sequences that he does. So, so it, it's a uh, it's a, an emotional quality. Uh, upeka, it's a, uh, but it's it, it's a, it, it's got that quality of refinement and attunement to to dhamma. That it's it is an emotional quality. It's a conditioned state, but it leads very naturally into into insight. So if someone can relate more to 
that reflection on cause and effect and learn and just uh, use that as a way of relating to to feelings and thoughts as natural processes that can be a way that they they develop loving kindness because then it's into in relating to their own being their own mind states and then the people around them are like well she's like that because she's always been like that you know that uh why why do i make a problem out of it oh that's how she is therefore uh that uh so when i when i meet this person that's what i find when i meet her because that's the way she's always been that's the cause this is the effect it's not personal i'm like whether that's something I'm comfortable with or not. It's not. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing bad about it. Lumpur Chah gives this really lovely example about monkeys in one of his Dhamma talks. He said, "If you have a if you have a monkey, a monkey's nature is to jump around and be busy. If you want the monkey to sit still and be quiet, like you don't understand monkeys. <laughs> monkeys just just do what monkeys do." You know? So if you realize, oh, it's just monkeying around because that's that's how monkeys are, then it's not a problem. It's still a monkey, uh, but you're, you're not feeling that it should be otherwise. So that um, that uh, that kind of oh well, this is how the way, this is the way things are, or this is a uh, um, it's not this isn't personal. It's not me or mine. It's just the way nature works. Aha! And so there's a that there can be a lot more uh, sort of compassion and forgiveness for other beings. Like oh, that's just how this person is, or that's how he is. Like. If you're working with Jose in the kitchen, there's likely to be music. <laughs> There'll be a certain bursting into song will happen from time to time. My ears tell me. <laughs> that's, that's what happens in the Amravati kitchen in these days, in the Jose era, is there's occasional... something as a cue for a song, or at least a, an expression. Um, and so that's... Uh, um, that's a, a a way that you know that, that people can uh, approach that and find that quality of accommodating each other, and so that sense of compassion and uh, allowing things to be the way they are, and not contending against allowing monkeys to be monkeys. <laughs> that uh, the that uh, is a uh, say is very uh, very much in a. Uh, a um, a part of what we we talk about or what we mean by loving kindness that sense of of not um, dwelling in aversion as Lumpur Smeda put it or not making the the uh, adding on the idea of wrongness or it shouldn't be this way but uh, here it is it's like this so, but uh, yeah anyway I I, I uh, people's characters vary and. Um, so that uh, also, if a if a person doesn't incline towards loving kindness, and any attempt from anyone to try and make them be different <laughs> is met with even more, uh, aversion and resistance, then also another another useful thing is to not uh, not bring the subject up at all. Just just embody that quality yourself. Don't don't try and explain Buddhism or teach it but just be it and then by example is that like, why is she so bloody peaceful <laughs> she's always got a smile on her face it's, like, it's really annoying <laughs> how do you do that <laughs> so I'm, I'm not joking sometimes that just the sort of leaving things alone and just letting how you are 
uh, and the good aspects of how you are have their effect. That that can have a can be a more potent form of communication than 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 using words. So another hour has gone by, amazingly. So let's leave it there for today. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.